When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is brought to you by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Byzantium is now available on demand during its theatrical release. And I Give It a Year, starring Rose Byrne and Anna Ferris, premieres July 3rd before it hits theaters. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The art house is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. On this episode of SVU, we'll examine murderous impulses, incestuous longings, and all the other usual coming-of-age stuff we all go through as we take a look at Park Chanuk's Stoker. Yes, who can't relate to that? In honor of Stoker, we were also going to talk about great moments in goth fashion on screen, because Mia Vasakovska is working a kind of Wednesday Adams vibe in this mm. film. But you're going to be spared my rankings of the various leads of the different The Crow films, because certain parties who will not be named are going on vacation this week. So we'll be skipping the cue shot section and keeping this episode on the shorter side. So uh, we'll go right ahead to Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand on cable. Matt, what are our picks this week? We'll get to the picks in just one second, but you, you brought it up. I'm going to throw it right back at you, Allison. Which of the Crow sequels is the best one? City of Angels, Salvation, or Wicked Prayer? Quick, quick. City you know, of Angels, I guess. Oh, that's like, <laughs> you're picking from like, really? No, there's a correct answer here. What is it? Whichever one stars Edward Furlong. I was going to say, if you're going to pick the Edward Furlong one, just don't. Just don't do it. The Crow Wicked Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, let's move on to opening break. There's some very exciting titles coming to uh, a VOD uh, this week, first of all, is a film that's now available and I have seen and is really great. One of my favorite movies of 2013 so far. It's called No, directed by Pablo Lorraine. And again, it is available now on VOD. This is based on the true story of the 1988 uh, plebiscite election in Chile, where the military dictatorship led by uh, August Pinochet decided to allow a democratic vote to determine whether he would continue as the country's president. It was Sort of, uh, he wanted it to be seen as a way to legitimize his power, but to, you know, he was still planning on winning this thing. And, and sort of a lot of people assumed that it would be rigged, that it wasn't a fair election anyway. But the opposition decided to take it seriously. And so part of the run up to the election was this half hour of television every night on Chilean national TV. There were 15 minutes given to Pinochet's supporters, and there were 15 minutes to the other side. And the Pinochet side was C, and the opposition side was no. And that's where the title comes from. And Gael Garcia Bernal plays the guy who's hired to create those spots. He's a he's a marketing guy. He's an ad guy. And he hopes to create these ads or these shows, these little mini shows, that will hopefully convince people to vote against Pinochet. And all the leaders of the movement want to make their ads uh, and their show all about the, the human rights violations, the atrocities that have been committed by the Pinochet dictatorship, but Bernal's character, who who's, comes from advertising, he basically makes like Coke commercials. 
uh, he realizes that won't work. People want to feel good. They want to feel happy. So he decides to use the same language and visuals that he would use to sell soda to sell democracy. So instead of listing all these horrible crimes, these people that have been disappeared, all this tragedy, he shows people on picnics and he had people swaying their feet out of the back of a, of a pickup truck and dancing in the streets and all the, and singing this insanely catchy jingle. Now, No was directed by Pablo Lorraine, who made the movies Tony Manero and Postmortem. Together, all three are sort of a trilogy about life in Chile under the Pinochet dictatorship. This one is the is the final one and the most hopeful, the most mainstream-ish, I would say. Did you see the movie, Allison? I have not, but the other two are not necessarily mainstream. No, and they're not particularly uplifting <laughs> no. either. This one, this one is more of a simple biopic. The character played by Bernal I don't believe is based on a specific person per se. I think he's a, an amalgam of a few people. Um, but th- certainly the events are fairly true, and what's really interesting is they actually blend new footage uh, of, of the characters with old spots, the actual no ads. They actually shot the entire movie with the old video cameras that were used to shoot the original no commercials and then blend the two together. So at times you can't even really tell what's a recreation and what's the real thing. And everything in the movie is in like four by three uh, TV aspect ratio. It's in like VHS and everything is like a ghost has ghost images and it's kind of faded. And we could do a whole like episode about that choice and why it works and why it's such a fascinating and effective one. But, you know, we're just, we're just recommending here. It's called No, and it is available now. We've got two more VOD picks for you. The first one is also available now on VOD. It's called Redemption, or as it was called in the UK, Hummingbird, or as it was called in France, Crazy Joe. I don't know how all these titles fit together, Allison, but I know which one I like best. Crazy Joe. Crazy Joe. But anyway, this is the new film starring Jason Statham. He stars as, I guess, Crazy Joe Hummingbird, known to his friends as Redemption. Hey, Redemption, how's it going? It's just Crazy Joe. Please, guys. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen the film yet. This is just purely <laughs> speculation. What I do know is that he plays an Afghanistan veteran who returns home a little mentally damaged. He becomes a, ho- a homeless man. It sort of sounds like First Blood, actually, the original Rambo movie from that description. Uh, there's plot twists from there. It's not just a straight, you know, coming home from war movie. There's a, a crime story at the heart of it. I imagine at some point Jason Statham starts kicking people in the face because that is what he does. That's what he does best. Supposedly, though, it's it's not quite as much of an action movie. It's more of a drama, a drama with crime elements. I don't know. I don't care. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's Jason Statham. I don't really care what he does. I just like the guy. I like his movies. I'll be interested to see if he, how well he pulls off something different. It's called Redemption or Hummingbird, or Crazy Joe, but here it's called Redemption. So it'll always be Crazy Joe to me. And that's available now on VOD. And finally, premiering on VOD on July 7th, this is probably one of my most anticipated movies of 2013. It's called The Look of Love. It's the latest collaboration between Michael Winterbottom and actor Steve Coogan, who together made 24-Hour Party People and Tristram Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story. And, and the, the trip. trip. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and actually they just announced they're working on a sequel to the trip. Coogan and Winterbottom and the actor Rob Brydon 
Uh, they're making a sequel called The Trip to Italy, which I cannot wait to see because I love The Trip. I love all their movies, really, to varying degrees, and I'm really excited to see this one. It's another biopic, so I guess that makes it sort of like 24-Hour Party People. That doesn't necessarily mean it's stylistically like it, but it's at least another biopic. And Coogan plays a man named Paul Raymond, who I'd never heard of, but I'm, I'm based on the trailer and then based on a, you know descriptions about him and reading about this guy, I, I guess he's famous. He sounds sort of like the Hugh Hefner of England. He apparently opened the country's first strip club and later became England's richest man. So certainly an interesting sounding subject. You got that combination of director and actor. I'm always going to be interested. So that's The Look of Love, and it premieres on VOD on July 7th. What do you want from me? To be friends. We don't need to be friends. We're family. All right, we're skipping right ahead to our listener's choice review, and your pick is Stoker. It's available for rent on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and VOD. Stoker is the English-language debut of Korean director Park Chan-wook. It's, uh, he's the filmmaker behind Old Boy, Thirst, Joint Security Area, and he's probably the most famous Korean director on the international circuit and is very famous uh, in his homeland as well. The film is actually written by Wentworth Miller, who you probably know as a star of Prison Break. Uh, this is his screenwriting debut. He put it out under a pseudonym and also wrote a, se- a prequel called Uncle Charlie. Uh, he didn't want to coast on his prison break fame in, in his writing endeavors. The film is kind of an homage to Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. It does follow a same, similar storyline. Mia Vasakovska stars as India Stoker, who is a withdrawn girl whose beloved father dies on her 18th birthday. Charlie, played by Matthew Good, an uncle she never knew she had, comes to stay with her and her mother, Evelyn, played by Nicole Kidman. And he's this mysterious, charming, and sometimes sinister presence who unsettles India. And India is still grieving. Charlie has a dark side and a secret agenda, but it turns out that India may be a kind of complicated girl herself. So uh, my question for you, Matt, is this film starts off by India confessing that she sometimes can hear things that other people cannot hear, see what they can't see. And it can be very internal. Uh, It's kind of a coming-of-age story from her slightly heightened perspective how subjective do you feel the real like the reality of this story is uh, there are moments where it felt like things were just taking place in her head like a, a moment of a piano duet how much do you think this is supposed to be filtered through india's point of view do you, are you like asking like is uncle charlie real at all is it all a figment of your her imagination well i i don't think that's the case, but there are moments in it where you kind of feel like he's he's almost standing in for an impulse in her. It's yeah, the the scene that you mentioned with the piano duet where it does seem to be all a figment of her imagination. She imagines him like coming in and sitting next to her at the piano and they start playing a song together and there's some very awkward incestuous sexual tension and then like at the end of the song he's like gone essentially and we go, "Oh, it was all in her head." Uh, that I did have a moment at the end of that scene where I was like, what if Uncle Charlie is completely in her head? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think in general, though, I, I mean, other than that scene and a couple of other scenes, I, I took it to be uh, not necessarily a, a particularly 
subjective experience in terms of like that they're th- how how literally should we take it i took the events to be fairly literal other than that and maybe a, a couple of others did you did you do you agree or did you have a different a take on it yeah I, I do feel like for the most part things that are happening on screen are supposed to be there you know even though charlie as a character shows up sometimes in ways that seem impossible uh, particularly one sequence where she goes off uh, with a high school friend, say, right. you know, where you're almost like, how did he find her? Except, I guess, you know, that he followed her. But uh, no, for the most part, I think that most like the real what's shown on screen is there. I-, I did think that that kind of helped explain how some of the characters behaved, particularly the Nicole Kidman character, mm-hmm. who seems to be almost like seen through a kind of teenage girl's complicated relationship you know like full view of her mother yes that like it's difficult to see her as a whole person and not just like the fragments of resentment yeah through a teenage girl's eyes who was like a very much a daddy's girl right yeah i guess that's a fair point and and she has sort of an idealized view or certainly a complicated but sort of um she looks up to her uncle charlie i guess you could say and the way that matthew good plays him is kind of like you know, yes, as you mentioned, he has like a dark side and there are these secrets about him, but he also is very like charismatic and you sort of he has an allure about him that you sort of understand. And I guess you could say that whether the the, the character does or not, she thinks he does. And so he plays it that way where we totally get why she might be drawn to him. Uh, we may not understand the incestuous aspect of it, but he has a he does have a charisma that he brings out. Did you like the movie? We we were we were get, talking around sort of the general sense of it first. I, yeah, I was I was a little thrown by it at first. I knew a bit about it going in, but mm-hmm. in the end, actually, I kind of came around to liking it as much as I don't know that it means anything. You know, like I don't know that all of the pieces of it necessarily form a full thought uh i i did really like the pieces of it though mm-hmm. as as odd as some of them are particularly just the the kind of gothic reality of the house and then she goes to school like a very yeah. normal high school that was something i wanted to talk about yes. too at but, some point but yes. did you like this i actually liked it a lot yeah um yes there were some things about it that were a little off-putting like specifically the the high school scenes which we can definitely talk about later and, I mean, does it add up to much? I don't know. I mean, I think the ending is something of a let, a little bit of a letdown. I, agree. I think the ending and also, like, the epilogue, to me, yes. felt a little bit a little bit of a letdown. I agree. Like, I felt like the movie was really building to something really amazing, like, crazy, like, totally, you know, paperboy crazy, but in a good way. And I don't, I don't know if it ever really got there. I felt like the ending was kind of predictable in a lot of ways. Disappointingly predictable, like the ending that I could have written but wouldn't have liked, and would have said, "No, I can do better than that." Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Like the movie has a lot of secrets. Like the characters all bear these secrets, and some of the secrets are kind of banal. They're they're, they're like movie secrets. They're like the secrets that these characters in this kind of movie would have. If you've seen Hitchcock movies, if you've seen De Palma movies, you 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 won't be that surprised. You know, you won't be thrown for a loop when the secrets start coming to light because you'll have predicted them long before they've been revealed. But for a while when it is it is like atmosphere, like the atmosphere in this movie is crazy good. Yeah, it and, is. And and like it's a very welcome thing to watch at this time of the year where look, I love blockbusters, I love big superhero movies especially and those movies can be fun and even like other littler indies, you know, more traditional American indies, they can be fun too and other indies that that I've seen lately are much more focused on like characters, story, dialogue, 
and and sometimes with like typical indies and even some of the blockbusters like the editing and the camera work feel so perfunctory they just feel like let's put the camera where everyone can see what's going on we're just gonna cut a whole bunch of it together just for clarity you know just maximum clarity that's the only thing they're doing like let's let's highlight the actors or let's highlight the special effects and let's just tell a story as clearly as we can and here you don't you feel the hand of the cinematographer the editor certainly the director all working together in a very deliberate way you know that you mentioned shadow of a doubt the hitchcock thing i think psycho is almost as big an influence although not in as ad- overt away i think it's more like it's kind of the way de palma would take bits and pieces of a of a hitchcock movie and like recombine them in new ways you know so like this movie has a shower scene it has a sleazy motel it has a guy who might you know looks very charismatic or likable and might be have some secrets you know there's a there's a relationship between a mother and and this other guy so it kind of brings together a lot of things. But what it also does like Hitchcock is it's very deliberate. It feels like every choice was made in advance meticulously. Every cut, every shot, the way things are brought together. There's a, there's a, there's a scene in this movie that's actually like three parallel scenes running simultaneously. Yeah. With Mia Wasikowska and with uh, Matthew Good and with Nicole Kidman all running simultaneously. And I thought the way those scenes were shot – and edited with some of the best filmmaking that I have seen in anything this year. That it was just so exciting to see someone who had a plan and was executing it and was really thoughtful and deliberate in what he was doing. It wasn't just like, well, let's just put it on. Let's just handhold the camera and we'll, we'll just follow the action. We'll see what happens. Like, that can be great. But this, to me, felt refreshing. It may be old-fashioned, but in this case, I found, I found old-fashioned incredibly refreshing. Well, I think that... In in that mode that you're talking about, in terms of the Hitchcock kind of using that style, it also has that kind of retro psychology, this almost like Freudian symbo- oh, yeah. symbolism right. that I think it uses really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, especially since it's so sensory in terms of just like small details. At one point, India like rolls an egg on the table and listens to the cracking sounds of it. Yes. And it was just kind of amazing. Or the the spider that crawls up. Like it's such like a, yeah, like a Freudian symbol. The spider that crawls up her stocking. But yeah. like it is, it, there's something like kind of very weird uh, about all of these like little moments that you see that kind of add up to this sense of all of this like sex and death imagery that right. kind of build throughout the movie is not subtle no but i it, think that it's it's, it's heightened, heightened deliberately it's deliberately it, like really and it uses that mode really well and it has fun with it too yeah. i mean all those things you mentioned they're wonderful little heightened touches and like the other one that i really liked was like the pencil with blood on the tip yes red and yellow i don't know i like one of the things that i didn't say was that even though I really enjoyed all the style. I can't say I always under fully understood what he was after in some cases with some of the symbolism, right. with some of the imagery, like the use of red and yellow over one another or next to each other is a thing that comes up a lot of times, like the yellow pencil with the blood, the two different kinds of ice cream, vanilla and chocolate are in one in a red carton, one in a yellow carton near the end of the movie. There's a shot of blood on yellow lines on the road. What does this mean? I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet, but I had so much fun watching it that I'm going to go back and rewatch this movie at some point. I'm going to enjoy going through and trying to parse all the little things that are going on. So I like that. I mean, I don't need to know everything the first time through if I'm enjoying it enough to go, I want to revisit this. I want to dive in deeper here, which I definitely did in this case. I think that he, as 
I don't want to say a craftsman because I don't think that's really the right word, but like he, in terms of moments of just kind of pure artfully made cinema, he is what like just one of the greatest filmmakers to conjure up this, like that are almost these moments that are almost exhilarating, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and they're not even that big. We're not talking about like examples, you know, it's not like Scorsese doing, you know, like the, the Copacabana scene. It's not that flashy. It's just, beautiful it's just well it's like precise you know it's it it's not so much the flash it's the precision right i mean there's even that i was it's it's slightly flashier but i did think it was really wonderfully done a scene where she's brushing uh india's brushing her mother's Mm -hmm. hair and it goes from like beyond just the sound of it as it's like highlighting this very tense conversation the shot goes from like the brush going through her hair to this memory of them, of like India with her father out hunting, like kind of gorgeously done. Mm-hmm. I do think that as a director, Park Chanuk is is maybe better at that than he is at yeah, like at a whole idea. Even like Old Boy, which is probably his highest profile film, mm-hmm. has some moments that are just incredible. You know, incredible, incredible like yeah. sequences. And yet, it's about this story that is like. Half amazing and half just ridiculous, like yeah. over the top. And I did, even though he didn't write this, but it was interesting to me that he was he picked this story to make as his right. English language debut because it did remind me a bit about that, like of that, of having these amazing sensory moments, and then a story that you're ultimately like, this is a kind of wacky frame, to, you know, on which to hang right. all of these pieces. And that's where I've kind of been on a lot of his movies. I haven't loved all of his movies that I've seen, and I haven't seen all of them yet. But I often have walked out of one of his movies and said, boy, that had great moments, but it didn't really hold together, or the the story was kind of ridiculous, or whatever. And this one, I actually think, is one of his most successful movies. I really did. I mean, does it add up to, you know, anything at the end? I, yeah, maybe not. But I mean, it's you know, how many of those Hitchcockian thrillers do you walk out of and say, boy, it really added up to something? No, it's a, it's a thriller. It's an exercise in, in fun and style and creepiness. And I got all of that out of it. So while I don't say that there's necessarily isn't more going on, and like I said, I want to go back and really dive into it again, I really just appreciated the ride. I enjoyed it. Like a lot of times we, I watch a movie and I'm like, yeah, this is uh, it's, I can appreciate it. It's well done. But this this really was I really did like it was like ah breath of fresh stale disgusting fetid gothic air. So let's talk about the the kind of heightened house yeah. versus yeah. the outside because it is definitely one of the weaker points of the movie. I would agree. Well, having created such this amazing consistent otherworldly right the Stoker like, household the Stoker, is so weird. It makes yeah, it makes and no everyone sense. in it is so weird. It's it's apparently this mansion. Like this, I kind of thought. Did you think? I almost thought it was like a period movie. Oh, for a while it sets until, up light, until yeah. they go to school and until yeah. she goes to school and all the classmates. You know, her her classmates look like normal two thousand and teens. You know, American dudes. You yeah. know, they're. They're dressed like normal people. You know, like you said, she looks like Wednesday Adams, and they're dressed like normal dudes, you know, like 90210 or whatever. And it's just like it's such a juxtaposition. And I guess that's maybe the point is just this how strange and kind of incestuous and insular the Stoker household is. But that's also part of the reason I asked about the kind of subjective nature. Right. You know, because and not that I think not that I think even necessarily that this was thought out one mm-hmm. way or another, but that's kind of one of the ways that would have helped me think about that is just to be like, this is how she sees herself within this world because no one treats her. People treat her as like basically a stuffy good girl. 
Yeah. Right. But not like a weirdo. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how, what to make of that. It's really one scene in particular where she's outside and walking and she's sort of confronted by a bunch of like jocks or whatever. And it is so jarring because they seem so unheightened and everything else in the movie, which is mostly set in that small little house with all these crazy people. It it just seems so detached from that. Yeah, they don't they don't really work together. I don't know. I could not. I couldn't. I can't tell you what 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 was going on there. I I hope. I feel like there must have been some plan because obviously everything else is heightened for a reason. So why not heighten the high school? Yeah. Well, I think we we're we're, we're pretty ready to wrap this up. I, we haven't mentioned the the cinematographer is named Chung Chung Hoon, and the editor is Nicholas De Toth, who I think is the son of the famous Hollywood director Andre De Toth. But uh, I just wanted to mention both of them since we've talked about how great the cinematography and the editing is. I wanted to at least mention them because I really feel like they brought a lot to this movie and, and made it as good as it is. Is there a particular image in this that like you thought you wanted to call out? Because it's one that's filled with like a lot of very memorable, interesting imagery. Um, well, you mentioned the scene with the piano. I thought that was a really, really great scene. Um, there's a lot of dead birds, which is another psycho thing I noticed. Yeah, the yeah. dead, the birds, stuffed birds, sh- you know, hunted birds, dead birds. As another sideways glance at a psycho. There's also a very simple shot where Matthew Good he's talking to Nicole Kidman and he says people disappear all the time and he's framed in a doorway and as he says it he just walks to the right frame right and we lose sight of him because he's out of the view of the doorway. So as he's saying people disappear all the time, he's walking and vanishes. I just thought, God, what a beautiful, again, it's just a sensory moment, but you're just like, ah, it's cool. You know, it's so little. It's like literally like a camera in a hallway and a guy in a room. But it's just, it's the framing, it's the precision, it's the, it's just, all that stuff I felt, I really appreciated all of it in this movie. Yeah, I, there's a scene in which she calls, uh, India calls someone on a cell phone that I thought was really kind of beautifully handled. Uh, when she's lying on the ground yes, that when time? She's lying yeah. on the ground. I thought that was like just a really kind of great scene and mm-hmm. what it allows her to understand was really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought I really appreciated that. So yeah, I think you like this film a little bit more than I do, but overall I, I'm a fan of it. I would recommend it. I mean, this, this is probably one of my favorite things I've seen this year. Not, not like the very top of the list, but certainly in contention for the middle of the list, for sure. All right. Well, that is Stoker. It is available on VOD, on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon. All right. Well, we didn't have cue shots this episode, but we can't go before we do some behind the eight ball and we give you some rundowns of some new titles, some listener recommendations and one random film from our Netflix cues. So at least you've got some stuff to watch uh, for the next two weeks. We can't can't leave you without some recommendations. That's what we're here for. So, uh, Allison, you're going to go first. Are you ready to begin? I'm ready. All right. Well, why don't you start with three new releases? Okay. The first one is on Netflix. It is Happy People, A Year in the Taiga. And this is a 2010 documentary from Werner Herzog and Dmitry Vasuyakov. And it is about people living in a Siberian village, which is one of the first places you think of when you think about just like happy, easy living. Uh, this is apparently, uh, Vasyakov shot a TV documentary series from which, using the footage, Herzog cut this film, uh, which is something he's kind of done in the past, using someone else's or like reusing secondhand footage basically to make uh, a movie. It's about trappers and their dogs and their kind of lifestyle. But, you know, as so many of these are, it's mostly about Werner Herzog's point of view on life. Uh, So that's Happy People. It is on Netflix. 
Harper is new on Warner Archive Instance. This is a really enjoyable 1966 film starring Paul Newman as a private eye who gets hired to look uh, for the millionaire husband of a woman who really doesn't seem all that interested in finding him, just kind of figuring out where he is. Lauren Bacall, Janet Lee, and Julie Harris all star. This is a kind of, it's, it's definitely Chandler-esque, set in LA. It's got such great actors in it just for that being around them alone is is kind of worth looking this up directed by jack smite uh there was a sequel made uh in which paul newman played the same character uh, called the Drown- harperer called the drowning pool harperer the drowning pool oh okay sorry <laughs> harperer harper harper <laughs> Um, and finally, we have Freeway, which is new on Hulu. This is a 1996 film written and directed by Matthew Bright, starring Reese Witherspoon as Vanessa Lutz, a poor Los Angeles teenager who steals a car from her social worker after her mother is arrested in order to go live with her grandmother. But when she's on her way to her grandmother's house, her car breaks down and she is picked up by Bob Wolverton, played by Kiefer Sutherland. He's playing a serial killer and a rapist. Yes, this is a urban retelling of Red Riding Hood. And yep. it is a lot of fun. It is like audacious and over the top and pretty great, actually. It's kind of got a cult following for a reason. So it, it's definitely one that's worth checking out. That is Freeway on Hulu. All right. How about two listener recommendations? All right. Our first listener recommendation is from Patrick F. He recommends The Man Who Would Be Polka King. This is a 2009 documentary. It is on Hulu. He says that it's one of the better Truth is Stranger Than Fiction true crime documentaries from True TV, telling the bizarre story of Pennsylvania poker, polka magnet, Jan Lewin, and the unlikely chain of events that led him from the polka circuits of central Pennsylvania to a maximum security prison. Whoa. Yes. He Did said, not expect that sentence to end where it ended. Right. Twist. The documentary itself is serviceable, much in the vein of the MSNBC investigates documentaries, but the strange audacity of the story makes it compelling viewing for its meager 67-minute runtime. In the same way that the... Um, in the same way that the enigmatic main character in Tabloid made it required viewing, Jan Lewin demands to be seen, heard, and danced to with his infectious oompapa beats. So that is The Man Who Would Be Polka King on Hulu. And our other listener recommendation is from Aaron F. Uh, he recommends Twin Peaks from director David Lynch. It is on Netflix. He says, most people know about this incredible and influential television series, but how many have seen it? I just finished it a few months ago, and the finale is maybe one of the craziest things to ever have been put on TV. Seriously, this was on network television? Yes, it was. Uh, so that is Twin Peaks. It's definitely one that's worth watching. It is on Netflix. Okay, and one random film from your queue. You gave me number 23, mm. and this is one I don't remember putting on my queue, but it's obviously been sitting there for a long time. Scarlet Street. This is a 19, Street. 1945 film noir directed by Fritz Lang, yeah. starring Edward D. Robinson as a kind of regular schmo who helps a prostitute. Uh, she becomes convinced he's a wealthy painter and then decides to defraud him. And as course, you do. As you do. As you do. If only he knew he was in a film noir movie instead of a romantic comedy. <laughs> He does not, though. So things Alas. You know, kind of go downhill. Alas. But that is Scarlet Street. It is streaming on Netflix. All right, Matt, are you ready? All right, I'm ready. No, I'm not ready. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, good. All right, uh, three new films. All right, I'm going to start with a new film that's available on Netflix. It's from 2011. It's called Super. 
It's directed by James Gunn, who, if you don't know that name, I suspect you might know sooner rather than later. He's going to be making one of the next Marvel movies, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Who's your favorite Guardian of the Galaxy? I have no clue who the Guardians of the Galaxy are. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie to the people. Who's your favorite? uh, Batman in them. (laughs) Yes, Batman is in the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Who's in the Guardians of the Galaxy? Nobody. They're the, it's one of the most obscure titles. It's shocking that they're making a movie out of it. Anyway, I was I was putting you on the spot on purpose. Anyway. I was hoping that you would come up with some, like... Yeah, James Gunn got his start writing uh, trauma movies. He wrote Tromeo and Juliet. He went on to write the live-action Scooby-Doo movies. And then he started making his own movies. He made a really great movie, which I'm sure we've mentioned on the podcast before, named Slither, a yeah. great little horror movie. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And he also made this sort of very dark look at superheroes called Super. This movie is a lot closer to Taxi Driver than Man of Steel. And actually, it's sort of like, you know, the way Stoker is to Shadow of a Doubt, Super is to Taxi Driver. There's a lot of very similar parallels you could draw, especially to some of the stuff in the end of the movie. Rain Wilson stars as the, the Travis Bickle-esque main character. He's dealing with his wife leaving him by creating this costume and becoming a superhero named the Crimson Bolt. But, of course, he doesn't have any superpowers, which, well, that's sort of a problem. Uh, but not one that can't be conquered by bludgeoning people over the head with a wrench, which is basically what he does. Ellen Page co-stars as a girl who works in the local comic book store who becomes his sidekick, and there's all kinds of weird stuff that goes on between the two of them. This is a very dark, strange movie, but, I mean, that's James Gunn's sort of sense of humor. It's very dark, very strange, very twisted, but I like this movie a lot. I, did, I don't know if I liked it quite as much as Slither, but I love Slither, so uh, I, I recommend this movie a lot. But again, know what you're going to get here. Know what you're getting into don't watch this one with the kids, you know, no. like, oh, we've watched all the other superhero movies on Netflix. What's up tonight, kids? Oh, I know Super. No. Bad idea. But put the kids to sleep and then watch it by yourself and be, be prepared for something pretty interesting. So that's Super, available on Netflix. And then uh, also available now on Netflix, another even smaller superhero movie that I wanted to give a shout out. Because this guy, the guy who made it, you know, he's really big in the 90s. He had a lot of television shows. And then he just kind of fell off the radar. You don't know what happened to him. He's a guy named Joss Whedon. And uh, <laughs> last year he put together this really interesting sort of superhero movie. I hadn't really seen anything like it before. It's kind of experimental. They made all these movies with all these other characters. <laughs> and then they put all the characters into one movie, Allison crazy and it worked i can't believe it it's called the avengers let me spell it for you a v e n g e r s it came and went last year in theaters it didn't play a lot of places it came out last year but anyway it's available now on netflix it's a lot of fun you know again this is one you could watch with the kids super you save that for after the kids go to bed this one though Batman is not in this one either, though, Allison. I hate uh, to break thanks, it to thanks. you. Thanks. Did you enjoy that whole thing you just did? Yeah, I really did. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. So that's event. The Avengers is available on Netflix. And finally, uh, this movie is coming to VOD on July 12th. Maybe it'll, we'll mention it next episode as well. The timing is sort of in between episodes. I wanted to mention it because we, we watched, or I watched, and you listened, Allison, to the trailer for this movie before we started recording. Yes. And I am now fully obsessed with this film. It's entitled Killing Season. And it stars Robert De Niro and John Travolta. And here's the very brief description from uh, Movies on Demand on Cable's website. Two veterans of the Bosnian War, one American, one Serbian, clash in the remote, smoky mountain wilderness. And, of course, my first reaction was, okay, it's De Niro and Travolta. Who plays the Serbian? And the answer, Allison, is... 
it's unfortunately not John Travolta. <laughs> no, it is Travolta. No way. He was playing Serbian. Oh. What did you think that accent was? I don't know. Yeah, no, that was that was All that right. was an accent. He was talking like he was Serbian. Well, and he had a he has. It doesn't a, really make me want to watch this anymore. No, it makes me want to see it. If you go to the go to any website, go find the trailer, watch the trailer. Look at the thing on John Travolta's face. It's like a carpet sample pasted to his chin, and they're calling it a beard. It's amazing. Amazing. I can't wait to watch this movie. I can't wait. It's I, called, what? What do you want to say? Nothing. I actually have nothing. I, like I said before, all I want from this movie is to know what those two said to one another when the camera <laughs> stopped rolling. Like, what did they talk about? Did they talk? Did they make eye contact? Did they hang out? No. Did totally they not. remark on John Travolta's amazing carpet sample beard? I don't know. But we'll maybe someday we'll find. Well, we'll when we'll the DVD know. comes out, we can watch the special features. But for now, we can only have the VOD release, which begins on July 12th. I'm going to predict. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to call it right now. This movie is going to be bigger than The Avengers. This movie, Killing Season, is going to be 2013's The Avengers. You heard it here first. All right. Two listener recommendations. Uh, my first listener recommendation comes from listener Leslie L., who says, I just saw a great American Masters feature on Mel Brooks on PBS, and it's now streaming on PBS's website. It's a fabulous interview. It inspired me to watch High Anxiety for the first time since it came out. And I didn't realize that Mel Brooks actually had a production company that did serious films like The Elephant Man, which is true. Brooks Films is the name of the uh, company. I like Mel Brooks because he's so willing to take chances. Some of his best movies are those that miss the mark but inspire other folks to take a shot at something original. And that's very well said. This movie, I, I watched it too. I interviewed Mel Brooks for IndieWire. I, that was fantastic. And the movie is great. It's, I think it's called Mel Brooks Make a Noise. So it's streaming now on PBS's website. And we've got one more recommendation here. This one's from Ben H., who says, I just wanted to recommend to you the brilliant, deranged, and truly crazy 2011 film Karate Robo Zabargar, which is available for streaming on Netflix. This tribute to the... Oh, boy. Tokusatsu superhero genre, perhaps the most widely known example of which is the Power Rangers franchise, is a nonstop orgy of hilarious, over-the-top visuals, acting, and karate robot action. More of a comedic setup than a serious film. This movie has so many mind-warping crazy turns that it's hard not to be invested within the first five insane minutes. What I love about this film is that it's a very honest parody. At two hours, it's undeniably long... Uh, but it's now become one of my favorite go-to ridiculous movies for parties. I hope you check it out. I actually saw this movie at Fantastic Fest, probably in 2011. It is as advertised by Ben H. It is crazy. It is silly. It is funny. I think it's a parody of like an actual children's television show from one time about a dude who has like a, a motorcycle that transforms into a robot. And the robot talks and wacky, crazy things ensue. And this is sort of like a... Kind of like an adaptation slash parody of it. It's a lot of fun. That's Karate Robo Zabagar, and it's available on Netflix, and I'm sure I butchered the name every time I said it. <laughs> and one from your queue. You gave me number 24, and it turns out that we'd actually talked about, you've randomly picked that movie before. So we moved that to number 25, which is Pistol Opera, the 2001 film by Japanese director Seijun Suzuki who made uh, the famous movies Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill, which are on the Criterion Collection. I was looking for other movies he made, seeing what was available, and this one was available on Netflix, and so I added. I haven't watched it yet, but hopefully by the time you see Scarlet Street, I will get around to watching <laughs> Pistol Opera. 
Okay, it's time to discuss our next batch of listeners' choice options. We've got a very interesting batch this time, Allison. I think I have the first one here. Yes. Let's begin with a film entitled The Immortal Story, a movie I had never heard of before today. It's streaming now on Hulu Plus in the Criterion Collection section. And the interesting thing about this is it's an Orson Welles film that I had never heard of before. He directed it in 1968, originally for French television. It's, so it's just 60 minutes long, so it's almost a, it's a very short feature. It co-stars Jean Moreau and Fernando Rey, along with Orson Welles. According to the description, this one is about uh, a character played by Welles, Mr. Clay, who lives in 19th century Macau, a wealthy merchant at the end of his life. Uh, it looks like it gets a little spoilerish. I don't want to say what happens <laughs> now. I feel like I, the whole thing is ruined for me. Oh but no! We'll spoil. We won't spoil it for anybody else. So yeah, I just fascinated that there's an Orson Welles movie. Not that I only haven't seen, but that I never even heard of. Yeah, it's never been released on DVD or anything on Blu-ray, but it is available for streaming on Hulu Plus uh, through the Criterion Collection. So we thought this would be a good option. So that's the Immortal Story on Hulu Plus. That's option one. Allison, what's option two? Option two is The ABCs of Death. It is streaming on Netflix. This is an anthology film produced by Ant Timpson and Tim League of the Alamo Drafthouse, a great guy and great supporter of genre film in general. Uh, it is made up of 26 short films from 26 different directors around the world, including uh, Xavier Jean, Ty West, Adam Wingard, um, Yoshihiro Nishimura, Simon Rumley, you've got uh, all kinds of filmmakers, many of whom have come through uh, Fantastic Fest, which is, um, you know, Tim League's festival. So uh, always uh, anthology films are kind of a mixed bag by definition, but there's some really talented filmmakers involved in making this. They've already gotten enough uh, you know, momentum to make another one. So that's ABCs of Death. It is streaming on Netflix. All right. And our final choice is a sequel, and it would be a sequel to a conversation that already took place on this podcast. It is Atlas Shrugged, Part 2, The Strike. This is the 2012 film, the second one inspired by the novel by Ayn Rand. We actually did discuss Atlas Shrugged, Part 1, all the way back on Film Spotting SVU number 5, and it feels only right to continue this, Allison, as, as long as it takes. If they make 100 Atlas Shrugged, Movies, we will review all 100 of them. And, this, uh, and hopefully they, they recast everyone <laughs> with new leads. Yes, as Yushi, <laughs> as Allison is alluding to, this is the continuing story of the brilliant capitalist and person with a very strange name, Dagny Taggart, and the other brilliant capitalist, Henry Reardon, and of course the mysterious John Galt. Uh, only this time they're all played by different people because they couldn't get the people who were in part one for whatever reason. I don't know why, but we have totally different actors in this one. And according to the Wikipedia page, which could never be wrong because it's Wikipedia, it says the producers intended to finance part two using the profits from Atlas Shrugged part one. But that film failed to generate a profit, so they did a private debt sale and raised 16 of the $25 million that the producers sought, enabling a budget larger than that of the first film. So there you go, Allison. This is a bigger production than the first one. Because I know what you were saying the first one was amazing, but it just was so constrained. It was just too that small. Was, that was really the problem. That I was think. your main complaint. All it right. Was, yeah. Before we before we move on, which movie do you think has a worse Rotten Tomatoes rating? Part one or part two? Part two? Correct. Yes. With five percent <laughs> compared to Atlas Shrug Part One's eleven percent. 
Will we like it more than Atlas Shrugged Part 1? Will we like it less? Will we like it just as little? Will we love it? I don't know, but you can find out if you select this film, which is Atlas Shrugged Part 2, available now on Netflix. Matt, I have no idea which one's going to win this time. Yeah, this is a tough one. This is really all this over is the a place. Really, this is a very strange <laughs> assortment of films. But uh, I'm looking forward to finding out. I don't know. I'll be happy. I'll ha- I'll be happy with all three. I so, think so yeah. So I, I can't wait. I, lo- I look forward to seeing what what the listeners pick this time. Right. Well, so which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com, and your vote must be received by Monday, July eighth at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at SVU. And you can take all of that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will come out around Tuesday, July 16th. FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive. Uh, so if you want to go listen to us discuss Atlas Shrugged Part 1 on SVU number 5, you can do that. You'll also find links to all the movies we discuss on the show there as well. The Film Spotting SVU Remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. In the meantime, you can follow me and Allison on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from the SVU listeners. That's you guys. And again, please keep sending in those listener recommendations. We're going to keep those in behind the eight ball. If you watch something on Netflix or Hulu or Warner Archive or anything and you enjoy it, send it to us. SVU at FilmSpottingSVU.com. We want to feature those on the show. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.